0: today I want to continue a series called Don't Tread on Me. Don't Tread on Me. Now some of you guys again you see that picture and you're thinking well what's this all about? Well the subtitle is this, Fighting for the Things that God Cares About. Fighting for the Things that God cares about now you say well are we supposed to fight as christians are we supposed to you know again come to fist city with the people of this world and all that stuff and i would say no i mean in a a sense no the bible teaches us in ephesians chapter 6 that our our fight is not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces of evil i mean there, there whether you know it or not we are at war if you've not been in church, or you don't know anything about Christianity, or you don't know anything about spiritual stuff, I'm glad that you're here today, but, but and I may teach you a few things that maybe you didn't know before, but we are at war. Um, and again, it's not against a flesh and blood enemy, it's against the, the, the spirit of evil and the devil himself. And, and you know what? The devil wants to destroy us. He wants to take us down one person at a time, one family at a time, one state at a time, one nation at a time. I mean, one country at a time. He wants to take us down. That is his number one goal. But here's the truth. I believe as Christians and as Americans, we have the responsibility and the right to fight for the things that God cares about. Amen? So... Um, You may be thinking, well, how do we fight? I mean, if we're a Christian, how do do we actually fight? Well, Jesus gave us two um, options here. And and, and I believe that he used both options at whatever time God led him to. The first thing is we see Jesus himself when, when he's attacked and when his temple was attacked and you see these thieves and these people selling stuff in the temple. What did he do? He turned the tables over. Again, he didn't just walk up and go, hey, would you guys mind, you know, moving these tables out? This isn't very nice. No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He grabbed the tables and he threw them over. You know why? Because he was angry. You say, Bo, are you promoting anger? I I, I would say, in a sense, absolutely. Because we ought to be angry at the things that, that, again, that, that oppose what God stands for. But how are we supposed to respond? I mean, that's what Jesus did. How are we supposed to respond? Are we supposed to fight in that way? Again, I I believe that God has called us to expose the deeds of darkness while not sinning. Does that make sense? I mean, a lot of people, they just want to hate and they want to, you know, bomb places and they want to, you know, do all this other stuff that's just crazy. And, And I would say all of that is against the word of God and violence is not the answer. But fighting is. And again, we fight with spiritual weapons. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, what's the word? Let's say it together. Instead, expose them. Expose them. Jesus did that. He exposed the evil that was in the temple. You know what else he did when he was attacked and they were accusing him? They were attacking him and saying that he was you know, a blasphemer right before he got crucified. You know what else he did? He was silent. He was silent. You say, well, how's that fighting? Here's how he... Here's the way that I believe Jesus approached it. He knew that God was going to fight for him and that the victory had already been won. He just needed to be obedient to God. Does that make sense? And so the, the point is this. We have to determine what pleases God in the fight and determine whether we're supposed to fight, in other words, speak the truth in love, or shut our mouths. And at some point, there's a need for both. And I declare to you today that I believe that God has called me to speak the truth in love. In the season that I'm in in my life, obviously, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand for or against evil no matter where I'm at. But in this season of my life, and as a pastor of your pastor of this church, of, of your church, I believe that God has called me to fight, to speak up, to stand no matter the cost. To, to, to look at evil and to say to evil, do not tread on me. And so last week we looked at the first thing that God cares about. And this is an issue of, of our world today. And again, I believe God's timing is perfect. He brought these issues up long before a lot of things that were going on in our world. And he told me that I needed to preach on this. So last week, we we looked at number one, the first thing that we believe that obviously God cares about a lot of things. But this is one thing that we don't hear much about in church. And it's this. We are to fight for racial reconciliation. Amen? Yeah. Racial reconciliation. You say, what does that look like? Well, go back and listen to last week's message. But I want to recap it. Galatians chapter 3 says this. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all, what's the word? One in Christ Jesus. You know what that's saying? It's saying it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter. I mean, obviously we love our heritage. We love you know, our backgrounds, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. No matter the color of your skin, we are all called to worship and to serve the Lord together. And you say, Bo, how do we fight the, you know, for racial reconciliation? Well, the first thing, and I'm going to go through these real quick, we must, we must admit that racism is still alive. Whether you feel it or not, I want you to know that it's still alive. I have a lot of African-American friends. I have a lot of Hispanic friends. I have a lot of Latino friends or even Israeli friends. I've got a lot of friends and, and they tell me about their lives that they have to you know face every day. And, and I want you to know this, that racism is still alive. We have to admit that. But we have to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Number two is this, we must respect everyone. It doesn't matter what color skin you are. We can't put everybody you know, in the same, you know, boat, just because you see some thug on, on the news and he's, he's black doesn't mean all blacks are thugs. Amen? Just because you see some white boy with a bunch of tattoos on, you know, and he does something stupid on television doesn't mean all white boys with tattoos are thugs. Amen? Some of you white boys are in here with tattoos. <laughs> So again, we must respect everyone. The respect that we get um, as white people in the majority of cases, we ought to offer to everybody no matter the color of their skin. Number three was this. We must build authentic relationships with people of color. If we're going to be a part of the, the solution for racial reconciliation, we have to find a common place where we can come to the table together and just begin to, to work through the tension. Say, I don't know all the answers, but I'm, I'm here to work. I'm here to build a personal friendship with you so that I can, I can be a part of the, the solution. Number four was this. If we're going to be a part of the, the fight for racial reconciliation, we must be intentional in making our church diverse. You say, what does that look like? Well, I believe that the, the, the most, if not in any other case, I believe that the, the, the most segregated hour of the week and often in many cases is the church. When we come to church, I mean, think about it. I mean, most churches, they represent one tribe and it's it's terrible. It's sickening. I mean, it's I just I don't understand it. And through this message, I'll just tell you this personally, God has opened my eyes to be able to to see people of color and to, to desire to have a friendship with them. It's not like I didn't have that before, but he just made me more aware. I mean, there are people, I mean, I, I, was, I was at Ramirez when we left church last week and I, I took my my kids, my wife was gone. I took my kids, and I see this Hispanic family. They're sitting there, and God made me aware of them. And so I'm smiling at them. I'm showing them, you know, saying hi to their kids and all that stuff. Then that night, I took my kids to McDonald's because, again, my wife was gone. <laughs> and guess which family was at McDonald's? The same Hispanic family, and I got to sit alongside of them at the table and talk about their life. I'm telling you, it's, it's what God cares about. And it's what our church needs to care about, whether it's intentionally hiring staff that speak Spanish because our culture is more and more Hispanic around here or whatever it looks like. We want to be a part of intentionally making our church diverse because race is it shouldn't keep us. I mean, while it's racism is a part of the culture, it shouldn't be a part of the church. It just shouldn't be. So that was that was number one. Number two is what we're going to talk about today. Now, again, some of you guys are here today for the first time, and you're like, dang, do we always talk about these weighty issues? I mean, is it always this heavy at at Thousand Hills? And I can just tell you it's not. But here's the truth. I believe that God has an issue that He wants us to talk about today. And we're going to talk about it. You say, okay, Bo, what else does God care about? What else does He want us to fight for? Number two, we fight for the unborn child. Some of you are going, oh boy, but you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And and can I just tell you, I know the magnitude of this topic. I am aware that there are millions of people that have been affected by the by abortion. I am aware that, uh, that you know, again, that, that there are people in our congregation here today and people that are listening online today that have taken part of being a part of a, an abortion. I'm aware of that. I have spoken to people that have had abortions this week and I've spoken to people that have been to, to, to places like Planned Parenthood and walked through the doors desiring to, 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 to have an abortion and, and through the power and the grace of God walked out and not gone through with it. So I understand, I, I don't understand, I, I, I just messed up there. I don't understand what people have gone through. But my desire is to speak on their behalf and to speak on the behalf of an unborn child. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today. So, and, and here's what else I'm aware of. I'm aware that a lot of churches, all they want to do when you talk about this issue, is spew out condemnation. They want to spew out hate. They want to spew out all this stuff. They want to condemn anybody who's had an abortion. Say you shouldn't have never had it, and, and, they, and they just want to, you know, again, they just want to spread shame. Can I just declare to you today? And I need you to hear this. We are not one of those churches. We're not. So I want to address this issue from a standpoint of love, a standpoint of compassion, a standpoint of gentleness and kindness, but I also want to stand on my conviction. And so today I'm going to speak the truth, but I hope to do it in love. You say, well, how do we approach this subject? I mean, if it's obviously a, a tense subject, it's obviously something that you don't hear a lot of pastors talking about because they're afraid to be political and again i have no political agendas i have a spiritual agenda because this is a moral issue an ethical issue a god issue not just a political issue so you can bring your agendas in here and try to be a political person made that word up it's actually political a political person but that's not why i'm here it's not I want you to understand this as well. I'm not your judge. A lot of people will say, well, you're just judging me. You, you just judge all those people that have had abortions. You're just judging all those, you know, uh, all those people that oppose this idea of being pro-life. No, I'm not. Guess what? I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all sinners. But here's the cool thing. God can cover our sin. He can cover our sin. Yeah, I want you to know that God's mercy and grace is enough to cover anything that you've done. Even if you've had an abortion, His love, His forgiveness can fill your life and make you wonderful and useful to Him. Not only does He love you, not only does He forgive you, He can even use you You know why I know? Because he uses me. Even in my sin, he uses me. I mean, Paul, one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, I mean, he, he declares that he is the worst of sinners. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. It says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. But... For that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example of those who believe in Him and receive eternal life. Do you hear what it's saying here? Again, I, I'm, just, I'm declaring to you today about my own life. Just like Paul is saying, I'm the worst of sinners too. I'm not perfect None of us are perfect. None of you are perfect. And so for us to walk in here and say, we can judge this person or judge that person, there's only one judge. And He will judge us all. And so today, I want to approach it as, well, none of us are perfect. All of us have sinned. But God can forgive us all. And He can use us all. So, that said, I want to say this. My desire is not to fight a particular person today, um, it's to fight an issue, okay? Some of you are here today, and you're going to disagree with what I say today. Some of you are, you know, again, you, you, you may not come back to church after what I preach today, and can, can I just say I hate that? I don't, I don't want to see you go, but here's the truth. I will, stand, uh, I will not stand on the sidelines anymore and allow people to, to, to murder children, just not going to do it. I'm not. The issue of abortion may be the single most important moral issue of our generation. And I humbly admit that I do not have all the answers, but I will speak today with the truth and the power of God's word as my authority. And I have a deep, conviction and a deep sorrow that i have stood by and allowed millions of babies die i don't know i don't know if you've watched lately on the news but there have been videos that have put out uh, that have been put out and they're videos of unborn children in a casserole dish as people are pulling the body parts out and saying this one's worth more than this one I don't know about you, but that ought to make us sick. The sad part is that it doesn't affect us because we're so dull to what's going on that it doesn't affect us like it should. And so you say, well, what's the, what's the point? Well, again, I'm not going to stand aside and not be vocal and speak the truth and love on this subject. I'm just not going to do it. And I, I'm going to hit both sides of this debate today, Okay. I'm not going to you know, try to, to just hit one side, and I, and I did a lot of research on a, a pro-choice websites or articles and all that stuff, and people that are pro-choice, and so don't think I'm just approaching this from, oh, I'm just you know, just going to look at what you know people like me believe. No, I want to know what the, the whole debate is, and so that's how we're going to approach it. The first question that I wanted to ask is, does God, does God care about the unborn child? Absolutely, yeah. He does. I mean, the answer is absolutely. The Bible is clear that human, that humans are God's most precious creation. Above the animals, above the bugs, above the trees, above all of His other creation, human beings are His most precious gift. You say, why? Here's the answer. Because we were made in His image. Genesis chapter 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind, what's the phrase? In His own image. And in the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them you know what that shows me that god values life he values the human life i mean above all other things he values it we know that god loves us we know that he loves the unborn child because he we were created in his image you say what does that mean well to be created in his image means that that we resemble him mentally we resemble him morally and we resemble him socially and we have been given the right to, to have dominion over this world. And no other living thing can claim this. We are superior as humans. You know why? Because God made us superior. And we are His most valuable gift. And so, again, I, you say, well, what's the point? Well, th- this leads to another issue. Okay? Okay. And this is the question that that I wanted an answer to, and I think that you would probably want an answer too. When is a baby actually a baby? This is the issue, and and I've read a lot about this. I've watched as much stuff on both sides of the, the fence, so to speak. When is a baby actually a baby? Well, I believe that the Word of God answers that question. And so I want to read you Job chapter 10. Listen to how Job describes how God made him. It says this, You guided me, you guided my what? Conception. And formed me in the what? In the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh and you knit my bones and and sinews, however that word said, together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. You see what Job's saying? I mean, he's declaring that we were made by God at conception. The Bible is clear that all mankind was created at the hands of God and in the image of God. And the Bible is also consistent when it presents life as beginning in the womb. Not at birth, but in the womb. And so that leads us to another question. Who? When is a baby, again, actually a baby? Well, here's the thing. Here's what I've learned as I've done this research. The, the, the world that opposes the truths of the Word of God, guess what they typically turn to as evidence for opposing the Word of God? They turn to science. Science. You ever thought about it? I mean, people, people that, that I talk to and they say, talk, you know, talk about creation, talk about this, talk about that. You know where they want to turn most of the time? They want to turn to science. And in every situation, again, they want to go to science and they want to say the science proves that, that you know, that this is wrong and that the Bible's wrong. Can I just tell you this? In the area of life, the, the people that are contrary to the word of God, they, this is the one issue that they don't want the science to be a part of it. You know why? Because science proves 100% that a baby in the womb is a human being. 100%. I, I, I want to, again, I want you to know that I looked at all kinds of evidence. And, and the evidence on a, a secular, so to speak, website, and the evidence on a Christian website, guess what? In, in the matter of science, they're the same. They are. I mean, I looked at an article and it said this. I mean, this was from a non-Christian website. And it says this. Biology is clear that at conception, also known as fertilization, a unique organism comes into existence. Since this new life possesses human DNA and is the offspring of human parents, it can only legitimately, legitimately be described as human life. As human life. And you say, but what?" what? And some people say, well, in the heartbeats. Well, again, I would say that, that it happens before that. The, 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 the baby at conception is alive. But I want you to know this as well. As early as 18 days, you can feel and you can sense the heartbeat of a child. As early as 18 days. And so you say, well, you know, I mean, I find this ironic that people don't want to say that that baby is alive. That, that baby's not, you know, again, a human being, even at that early of an age. Here, here's what I would ask. Why do we say that, that, a, that a person is dead when their heart stops beating, but we won't say that a baby is alive when their heart starts beating? I don't understand that. The fact is this. Through the technology, through the the, the power of technology and 3D sonograms, at six weeks to eight weeks old, we see that babies are able to smile at us. We see that, that babies are able to suck their thumbs. We see that babies are able to respond to sound. I mean, the Bible even declares this. I mean, Jesus is in the womb of his own mother, Mary. And Mary goes to see a woman named Elizabeth. And in Elizabeth's womb is a a person named John. And when Mary gets to Elizabeth and Mary speaks, listen to what happens. In Luke chapter 1, it says this, At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, what? Leapt or leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible proves it, that they're able to, to, to respond to sound. She, this, this child, John, responded to the sound of Jesus' own mother and to her voice. And you say, well, how can that be? Well, here's how it can be, because that's a human life. It's a human life. Can I just say this as well? Science has proven that at, at as little as eight weeks, a baby recoils from pain. If you were to take a needle and you were to poke that child with a needle, guess what that baby's going to do? That baby's going to recoil. The baby's going to pull away. You know what else? We can realize at least at at, at six to eight weeks that, that it's proven that all the major organs of that child are functioning. By 21 weeks, a baby with a little help can survive outside the mother's womb. To me... This confirms that life begins in the womb. That life begins at conception. Psalm 139.13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And so, again, these are some of the arguments. Some people would say, well, Bo, here's another question. Who has the right to kill a baby? I mean, that's the question. I mean, people, they want to talk about some, some women and some ladies would say a mother has the right to kill her baby. And by law, the law that that we have nowadays is it's, it's, it's allowed for the mother to, to choose to, to abort her baby. But can I just say this? Just because Washington DC says that something is right, doesn't make it right. One day, listen, all of us as humans are going to face the ultimate authority, the authority of all authorities, and we will face the one true God. And as Christians, listen, we are always to side with God, even when it is counter to the culture. Even when it's counter to the culture. And and can I, again, some of these worldly laws that we have are just twisted, I, I think. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, we, we say again, we say that the mother has the right to choose to, to kill her own baby. Listen, do you realize that in over half of the United States, there is a law called the fetal homicide law? You know what that says? That says this. If a mother or a woman is pregnant and, and a criminal kills the mother, and if she's pregnant, that criminal will face a, a charge of double murder. You know why? Because they're, they're giving rights to the, the, the baby in the womb. But we want to argue, and some people want to argue, well, you can, ha- you can kill your own baby. I don't, I don't understand that. I, 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 just don't, I just don't understand that. Um, here's what else people would argue. And this, again, is some of the issues. A woman should have the right to choose because it's her own body. I mean, that's, a, that's one of the arguments. And, and again, this sounds good, but, it, but to me, again, let me just say it this way. I believe in women's rights. Amen? We believe in women's rights. I believe that all women should be paid equally just like men. Amen? I believe that all women should be able to hold any position, whether it be the president of the United States or the president of a bank. I believe that all women should have equal rights to to do anything that their heart desires. But the argument that says a woman's body, you know, is a woman's body and she should be able to do whatever she wants with her body, it is completely untrue. You know why? heres I'll give you an example. Some of you ladies, you show up in the next PTA meeting naked and see if you don't get arrested. It's my body. Ladies, listen, you go out and sell your body for sex and see if they don't put you in jail. It's my body. It's just not true. I mean, in no other area is this true. But women will say, well, it's my right to have, you know, an abortion. And I'm, I'm talking about some women, not all women, but, but it's, it's my right to have an abortion because it's my body. Listen, I would argue that although the baby is in a mother's womb, that baby is not her body. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. If a doctor were to take or need a blood sample of the baby, he would not take it from the mother. You know why? Because that child has its own DNA. That child has its own blood type. That child has its own fingerprint. That child is its own human being. And for, again, some women or some people to say, I have the right to choose to kill that child, it's not your body. It's not. Here's what else. Some would argue that, you know, this is an argument. Abortion is okay if, you know, it's okay to kill a baby if the baby's not going to have a good quality of life. I've heard this one. Anybody heard that one? I've heard this one. And can I just say this? While I don't have a clue what people face and what parents face that have special needs children that have chosen to give birth to those children and those children, you know, again, have special needs that, you know, that I, I don't have a clue what they're going through. Uh, here's what I would say. Now, I, I believe this. Not one of the parents that has given birth to a special needs child would ever at this point, now that that child's alive, would ever say, I wished I would have killed my baby because he doesn't have a good quality of life. You know what that poses? This whole argument poses for me. What about all the babies that are, st- that are alive already? What about all the, the kids that have, you know, all these special needs that are in our hospitals? Should we kill them too? They don't have a good quality of life. Again, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand that, 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 uh, that argument. Others would argue this, and this is the toughest one. Uh, a woman should be able to kill her baby if she's been raped. Now again, I can't, and this is where I want to be compassionate and loving because I can't even imagine the suffering and the pain that a woman faces when she finds herself a victim of a rape. I can't, I can't imagine that. Uh, and, 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 and again, I don't wish that on anybody. My question is this though. Why would we kill a baby for the crime of a man? Why, why would we say, oh, this man, he, he raped this girl, therefore let's kill the baby. This goes against every other rule and every other law in our nation. When a, when a person commits a crime, the person that committed the crime is judged, he's sentenced, and he's sent to jail. Why would we say now, since it's a little baby, that we should just kill the baby because the father committed a crime? It just doesn't make sense. You say, Bo, isn't it, isn't it punishment for that woman to have to, to bear a child you know, of a rapist? Isn't that punishment? Are you, are you wishing that on anybody? And the answer is absolutely not. I don't, I don't want to wish any punishment on her. She, she's, again, she's facing this traumatic, horrible situation. But here's what I would say. I would say, in light of God's grace, in light of his compassion and with his power, it is always possible to redeem a horrifying situation and make it holy. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, again, I look at the, the life of Joseph. I mean, Joseph was the youngest of all the brothers. He had like eight or ten, twelve brothers. And they threw him in a hole and they said, we wished you were dead. And they left him there. Joseph gets out, becomes one of the, the second in command of Pharaoh. And listen to what he does, what he says to his brothers, who, again, who, who put him in that hole and wished he was dead. He says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, You may, or you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You say, but what's the point? Here's what I'm saying. What evil intended for harm, God can take. And redeem. Again, ch- a child of, of rape is innocent. A, a child of rape should have the opportunity to live and to, to live a life of redemption and grace. I would say if a mom cannot handle the thought of raising a child that, is, that is, was conceived out of, of a rape, Listen, I I would encourage that mother. Give it up for adoption. Allow somebody to be blessed. I mean, there are thousands and thousands of parents who can't have, or not parents, but people that are married that can't have children. They're looking to adopt a child. And I know people personally that are a Uh, what you would call maybe a byproduct of a rape that the mother chose to bear the child and those children have grown up to be godly men and godly women redeemed by God and used by God in every form and fashion. I know them. And so listen, I know this is a touchy subject. I know that that, that is one of the most horrible situations that, that a person could be in. But can I just say this as well? As I did the, the studying of this, you know what You know what the percentage is of people that have been raped that, that have abortions? Less than 1%. So what do we say about the other 99%? Well, here's the other argument that I've heard. If a mother... Can't afford a child, then she should have the right to abort it. Can I just tell you, those of you that maybe feel that way, join the crowd. I can't afford children. I mean, ninety-nine percent of the people in this room would say I can't afford the child that I bore, that I gave birth to. I mean, again, you say, well, you know, well, you know, how's this person that can't afford it supposed to receive help? That's what the church is for. That's what the organizations that we pay money to, that we support, the pregnancy centers, the youth centers, all those people, the, you know, the women's ministry, the women's centers that are in or even in our town, that's what they're for. And they can help you. They can help that baby survive and thrive and live. And so for you to say, well, I can't afford to have this baby. No, listen, the truth is this. The records show us that the most abortions, you know why they're done? You know why? Out of convenience. That's what the truth is. I mean, there, there are people that, you know, again, they say, well, uh, a girl's too young. I mean, she's too young to have this baby. Well, to me, and this may sound insensitive, she should have thought that about that before she had sex. Amen. Amen? And this is why we as a church and why the word of God says that sex is meant for marriage. Some people would say, well, you know, a woman, you know, she should be able to, to, to kill her child. I mean, because of her career. I mean, if it gets involved in her career, I mean, if, it, if it's not, you know, going to help her get up to the next ladder, then, you know, she should be able to, to, to have a baby. I mean, there, there's some, again, and I understand this one, a, a girl that, you know, says, I'm scared. I'm scared of what my parents are. I'm scared that they're going to be mad. Listen, I understand that, but that's not the reason that you should get a, an abortion. I mean, a woman that, that thinks that, you know, a, a baby out of wedlock or a baby is going to ruin her reputation. Again, these are issues. All of these reasons, I believe they're all centered around one word, and it's called selfishness. It's selfish to say that I'm not going to raise this child, I'm going to kill this child because it's not convenient for me. Listen to the Bible as it talks about convenience. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Do not or do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know what that's saying? It's saying, although the law may give women a choice, as a Christian, we are called to surrender our own rights for the sake of others. And that includes the unborn child. Just because it's not convenient for you to have a child doesn't mean that, that that child should die. That's just the truth. I mean, God says it's not a matter of your convenience, uh, you know, of the, of the wife or even the child, it's a life. A life that of, innocent, of an innocent baby that should be protected at all costs. And so here's the, here's, here's the thing that I want us to, to end on. All life originates from God and it's his right, his right alone to take a life away. He's the only one that has that right. And so here's what I want to say. For me, it's not about my rights. It's not about the, the rights of anybody. It's about what's right and what's wrong. Period. <clears throat> I believe that the killing of an unborn child is murder. I believe that although the culture has embraced abortion as a woman's right, I say no one has the right to kill a baby. I believe that although the culture says this, the culture does not determine what is right, only God does. And because we know that God cares about the unborn child, we should care for the unborn child and fight to see each of them born so that they might thrive in life. Now listen, again, some of you guys are like, "Bo, you know, I, I don't agree. It's okay. It's okay. I'd love to sit down with you. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'd love to talk about your ideas. I, I, I don't want this to be, a, again, a lecture or, a, you know, a one-trick pony where I'm just talking about these issues. I want us to, to have a conversation. I invite the conversations. I invite your feedback. Because I want us to be able to sit down and show each other the respect of, of uh, maybe even disagreeing. And so here's, here's what I'm asking you to do as a church, though. I'm asking you to help me expose the evil. This, again, this isn't about a person necessarily. This is about the evil that is taking place in our world. And I will not stand aside and, and, and not speak against what God would speak against. My prayer is this. My prayer is that God would light a fire in our bones when it comes to this issue that that we may look evil in the eye and say, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to fight for the unborn child. I will teach it to our church. I will teach it to our children. And I will look in the eye of evil and proclaim, do not tread on the innocent child. And my prayer is that you would say the same thing. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. Here's what I want to say. I want, I, want to, I want to end where we started. And that is this. My, my hope and my desire is that people would look at our church and that they would look at Thousand Hills and go, that's a place of refuge. It's not a, praise, a place of judgment. It's not a place of condemnation. It's a place where we can come and have a conversation about an issue as deep as abortion. Abortion. Listen, I want the world to know that our church loves every person. The mother that has had an abortion, the, the father who has encouraged them to have an abortion, the person that, that again, has, has, has done the abortions, the doctors, whoever it is. I want people to know in our world that they can find refuge in our church. And so here's what I want you to hear. In this, you know, in this place today or even online, if you find yourself pregnant and you feel like you're alone, we are here to help. And you are not alone. We will volunteer our time, we will volunteer our resources to help you and help your child. But here's the thing, more important then us is that God is here to help you. And so maybe you're here today and you've been touched by this this issue of abortion. You've had an abortion. You've encouraged your girlfriend or your wife to have an abortion. You've, You've been a part of it. Can I just tell you this? God's mercy and grace is extended to you. He wants to wrap His arms around you. You are not too far gone. None of us are too far gone. There is no judgment, but only forgiveness and hope in God. And so maybe you're here today and you need that forgiveness. Listen, all you have to do is ask. You say, but I, I can't forgive myself. Listen, I, that's probably one of the toughest things that I... have been told by women that have committed you know, and had an abortion, they, they've told me that the, the hardest part is forgiving myself. Listen, here's what I understand about God. Through His power, you can overcome the shame, you can overcome the guilt, and He can grant you peace. And so continue to turn to Him. Continue to to lean into him in those times where you're struggling because he can help you. Here's what I want to ask you to do in your chair right now. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's going to point you out or anything. But I want you to maybe make this commitment today. And in your own heart, maybe you pray these prayers. Ready? Lord, strengthen us, strengthen me to fight for the things you care about. Maybe you need to pray that. Maybe you need to pray this. Lord, help me to stand for the unborn child and to fight to end abortion. Maybe you need to pray this. Lord, help me to also love every person, even my enemies. Here's what else that I know I need to ask God for. Lord, forgive me for allowing millions of babies to be killed while I stand silent. Lord, I come to you, and I, I come to you as a humble servant. I come to you as a, a man who is imperfect and, and sinful. But I come to you today asking that you would use the words that I've spoken to speak love into the hearts of man, and Lord, today for those that maybe have come in here and, and maybe have thought one way, I pray that you you, had cha- you have changed their mind on the issue of life, because your word is clear on this issue. Lord, may we walk out of here, and may we may we speak the truth in love, but may we do it with gentleness and kindness, and be open to have conversations so that we can see our world changed lord i i believe that the church is the hope of changing this world and i believe through the church you can change things and so we ask you to use us at thousand hills ranch church to change our world for your glory Whatever that looks like, however we need to fight, however we need to, to be quiet, whatever that looks like, show us what that looks like, and may we be obedient to you no matter the cost. And may you receive the glory. Thank you, Lord, for giving us life. And it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. When the path is daunting. And every step exhausting Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Bo in Thousand Hills Ranch alone. Church in Woodward, Oklahoma. Please I'm join us alone. next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 no. a.m. at the Woodward Livestock no. Auction.